0: This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. On this episode, we host ethnomusicologist and Dungdut Cowboys founder, Andrew Weintraub, and explore his fascinating research on popular music in Southeast Asia. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm Eric Jones, and with me in studio is uh, Dr. Andrew Weintraub. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Eric. Yeah, uh, this
0: is a, this is a, this is a fun uh, opportunity. A little, a little different. We got a lot of uh, we got a lot of uh, academic content coming your way, but uh, uh, some music as well. Um, uh, Dr. Weintraub is a professor of music at the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, does a lot with ethnomusicology and their music program there and the traditional all the traditional stuff that, um, all of, uh, the programs have like your, your, your gamelan ensembles. Is that right? But, yes. uh, he is also the, uh, the founder of the Dongdut Cowboys, which has uh, just concluded a worldwide tour of, of Indonesia and Pittsburgh, uh, mm-hmm we uh can we lure you out to DeKalb? um you know like you'd have a gig at the uh uh here just uh, just putting it out there but uh-huh. um so uh again welcome welcome uh to to our studios um maybe for our listeners uh tell us about tell us about dangdut what is dangdut
1: dangdut is indonesia's most popular form of music and i say that because dangdut now is so popular among people who live on different islands and speak different languages and who are spread apart geographically from each other, but yet they share a love of Dangjut. In fact, people outside the urban centers uh, in local areas where they speak local languages, not Indonesian, have made dangdut versions themselves, which are uh, in their own languages and in their own contexts uh, from those places, so it's really interesting how Dangrut has become Indonesia's most popular music, uh, over the last 50 years or so. Uh, the music itself was named, uh, as a genre somewhere around 1972, and then became very popular, especially when cassettes uh, started to be the main medium for, uh, disseminating music in the mid-70s, and especially into the 1980s. And so it's a a form of music that combines a lot of other kinds of music, uh, like Hindustani film music, um, Arabic pop music, uh, Malayu or Malay popular music, of course, uh, from the region of Southeast Asia uh, that Indonesia sits in, and also uh, new forms of music like... Pop and rock, and even reggae uh, from other popular styles around the world. Is is so it an,
0: is it an overstatement to say that sort of in Indonesia is is a very disparate country uh, in in culture and in, and in and in its islands? And this is a this is a common um, a familiar glue that 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 no matter where you go, you're going to and it might have local variation, but it's mm-hmm. is it this consistent popular uh, genre?
1: Yes, it's interesting because as a national form of music, it doesn't relate too closely with any one particular area. So it's something that is common to everybody. So it's
0: not like, oh, this is Javanese music no. or this is... Bahamian. I mean, there are like,
1: those versions of yeah. it. Yeah, But uh, mm-hmm. there, especially over the last 30 years or so when it, the form has become more regionalized, uh, those those forms have started to come up, but they have this basis in a kind of generic Dangdut that started in the 1970s, which was based on an earlier form called Orchest Malayu, or Melayu Orchestra, or Malay Orchestra, that was also popular and was recorded, and it was on the radio, but never to the level in which Dangdut is popular now.
0: So it's it's Indonesia's most popular music. It's like like Bahasa, like the language itself. It's not owned by any one group. Um, but as you point out, it's pretty woefully understudied. So why
1: is that? Yeah, that's well, it's interesting because, especially within the field of ethnomusicology, uh, scholars had not really paid much attention to it until... Uh, I mean, there was no book about Dangdut until I wrote that book in 2010, mm-hmm. And the most important study of Dongdu that had ever been done uh, was in 1982 by William Frederick, a historian at Ohio University. It would be
0: like not having a book about rock and roll or blues or it's really.
1: I mean, the book that I wrote was a really uh, scaled down basic uh, overview in a a lot of ways. Explaining what is dangju, where did it come from, who are the major stars, and covering a huge historical yeah. period uh, for a, one small book. Uh, now I think people can take that book and use it for the basis uh, as a basis for writing other books about what's going on right now, which is really different. Uh, so I think yeah, the musicologists, just because of the history of not studying popular music, um, tended to avoid it, and focus on other things like gamelan. And
0: yeah, and in- Indonesia and has its very high musical traditions yeah. that I guess are, are are easy to focus on as this uh, sort of equivalent of Western orchestral kind of... Is that is that what happens?
1: That's part of it. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and also uh, just really staying away from popular culture, uh, which tends to be... Um, a little messier, and it doesn't have a uh, well, at least have a long history. I mean, people used to lament the fact that popular music songs would be popular only for a short amount of time. They would come and go, and great music is transcendent. Uh, it doesn't have mm-hmm. a historical context. Uh, the music of the 1800s is still great music today. And I think you're right that by saying that those ideas were applied to or overlaid onto uh, the study of, of Indonesian music as well.
0: You're a you're a strong advocate of um, bi the ethno ensemble, um, applied ethno uh, musicology. Uh, can you un, unpack some of those? I yeah. uh, think maybe make me starting with uh, bi What does that mean?
1: Bi musicality is a term that mantlehood Hood, who's a very famous ethnomusicologist, who had a program at UCLA in the 1950s and 60s uh, coined to uh, tell people that you know it's very important to be able to play not just your music, but also music of another culture. And, you know, you study it, you read about it, you write about it, you talk about it, but to really play it, it gets it into your body and you can really feel it, and but, uh, through that process, you'll know the music better. And you can then take that experience and work that into your scholarship. And you can, you know, That's an academic tool, it's a device in order to get from one place to another uh, a higher level of understanding about a music. So it's not something that you have to do, but it's a very helpful technique, especially for people who play music. And that's a long, very long process. You know, to become truly bi-musical, who knows? You know, if you ever could do that, but it's, it's like nice being bi- bilingual. Yeah, exactly. It takes the and it's not just bi-musical, but what about tri-musical? Uh, you know, learning lots of different kinds of music can inform your understanding of your own music as well as other people's music.
0: So um, you, you've 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 taught a lot of uh, music and a lot of and a lot of students. Is the is. Um, I think I know the answer here, but uh, is is uh, w- w- as a lecturing solely about about a, a music form as opposed to like applied kind of engaged learning by musicality? What's the, what are kind of the different um, outcomes of those approaches?
1: Yeah, I think uh, because I do teach gamelan as well, and I've been doing that for a long time. And you know, what's interesting is that the students who tend to take gamelan and the, who are who, who tend to have the least bias uh, towards learning other music of other cultures te- uh, they often are people who are not in music departments so um, mm-hmm. gamelan at a lot of universities is played by you know students in biology and physics and and history and uh, linguistics and people who are you know they're not necessarily interested in the music itself or Indonesia, for that matter, but they see it as a, a way to learn about something outside of themselves and to se- step into somebody else, somebody else's shoes, or to embody the music as a way of of learning something new. And so, it's a really fascinating process that happens when you see that, you know, with students over the course of a semester. And it's really exciting that they are able to uh, realize so many different things by actually playing the music and feeling it in their bodies and t- working with uh, Indonesian teachers for example and it can learn take, in a totally you know who teach and learn in a totally different way
0: I mean can yeah can, you know it can take you know years and a lifetime to, to master like you know gamelan but it, there's also an entry level yeah. where you can you know someone can sit in and in in 30 minutes be doing something be be yeah. actually um uh, you know participating and it's it's that it's that kind of amazing it has this this uh um ability to to be accessible at one level then for the for the for the real purist you can go as deep as you want to go um it makes it a unique form um so the dying to ask about the Dongdu cowboys uh who who are they and uh, tell us about this this really interesting tour
1: Yeah, well, the Dangdut Cowboys is a band that I formed in 2007 as part of my research and teaching on Indonesian music, especially popular music, which I became interested in um, around... Well, I was always interested in it, but as a topic for research around 2003 because of so many exciting things happening in Indonesia around Dangdut uh, and around its music, but also around the culture and history and... um, the language of Dangdut, then uh, at that point, you know, it was a way to teach people about Indonesia, but also to have fun with it, and so I incorporated it into some of my classes, and then I decided to actually form a band that could play out and perform, (laughs) never thinking that we would be invited to Indonesia, to uh, to perform as part of this tour, you understand the local Pittsburgh
0: club scene, and then uh,
1: yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, there were some clubs, but also the embassy in D.C. Yeah, yeah, Washington uh, was very interested in us, and uh, you know, I was just there. They were talking
0: so. about you. I, w- I had a bolo tie on, and they 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 <laughs> they, made, they mentioned. I said, I do know the Donkey. The Donkey can Yeah, could be a <laughs> ducal, but Okay, you never well, know. we'll you, talk. Yeah, fingers crossed. Check we'll see how this goes. Yeah. So 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 you so, you're, so you so you're then yeah talking about the 70 year um kind yeah. of relations with Indonesia.
1: Yeah, so pretty much out of the blue I got a call from the embassy in Jakarta about the ce- the celebration of the 70 years of US Indonesian relations and the fact that they were doing a bunch of programs about this this year. And one of them that they got interested in was to uh bring our band to Indonesia to perform in various cities yeah. over a 10-day period uh, just last month. So we did a lot of performances. We did a lot of media events. We uh, appeared at universities and did uh, discussions and lectures. And um, then we uh, you know, did some television performances as well. So it was quite successful. Our perspective. not
0: not not just some television performances i mean we're talking uh, the this one friday performance i mean how many how many people pro- likely saw that
1: i'm i'm saying 100 million of i you know i don't know exactly but you know i'm in a uh, country of 260 million Yeah, with they watch those a friday night yeah. live with the most famous you know dangdut star Roma rama <laughs> uh, I and Fia Fallen I should mention is also really popular right now was was on that show as well.
0: Yeah, so uh we're we're going to have some we're going to have so we're going to drop some music into this uh to this episode but uh if our uh if our listeners um look up Dongdu Cowboys on on YouTube they can see a lot of these, right?
1: Yeah, the so the Indonesian TV stations and the um sponsors are very good about putting everything on YouTube so there's a lot of stuff on there already that they can see
0: uh yeah so go check go check that out everybody so this so this tour um was was explicitly for you know about cultural diplomacy and um but I think you and you make an argument dung dude itself is a tool for um uh cultural diplomacy it's uh Hybridity, adaptability, other factors. Um, so, why why is dangdut this this kind of interesting vehicle for that?
1: Yeah, I think it's because of what I mentioned earlier. Dangdut is such a, a pervasive form of music in Indonesia. Right. And
0: it's immediately recognizable everywhere. Yeah, like we should say like if you if you get on buses, if you right. walk into yeah you know like food bazaars, if you people, it's motorbikes passing by. Like it's it's the music you're going to hear.
1: Yes, it's uh, it's a, it's seemingly everywhere, although obviously not everywhere. But it's extremely popular, um, and I would say, you know, arguably the most popular music of Indonesia because of its um, pervasiveness and the localization of dangdut in so many different places. Uh, so it, you know, it's that, but it's also the the music itself, which is, which can accept so many different. Influences and can blend so many different styles, including you know Hindi film songs and mm-hmm. Malay music and Arabic pop and rock, and other kinds of popular music. So it's automatically uh, a great uh, candidate for using as a, a model of cultural diplomacy because it's able to. It's so open, and so. Uh, Know, its ability to accept all those influences is profound compared to other kinds of music.
0: An- another thing that uh, that's interesting about uh, dangdut is its is its political side, yeah. um, which is really fascinating. So uh, maybe maybe say a bit about that. What is the how do the politics of dangdut play out in in Indonesia?
1: Yeah, there's the politics of of culture within dangdut, but then there's the, you know, Dongdut and politics, and the relationship between Dongdut and local elections has been really important, and, and national elections, for that matter, uh, since the mid-1970s, when candidates would ha- have campaign rallies, and they would call Dongdut singers to come and gather people together, and so people would come to see their favorite stars, and then they would be told who to vote for, essentially. Right.
0: Come for uh, the Dongdu, stay for the the political content. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they would be paid to vote for those candidates too. Uh, besides that, um, there's a sense of, you know, that so, since so many people are listening to the music, you you know, there's a censorship that happens in Dongdu even today. Uh, but there are many cases of of the government censoring certain songs for their because they're critical of the government. Uh, or the kinds of music or style that's presented uh, by women dancers, for example, is considered not appropriate. Uh, So, Danganron has a a very political force that um, oftentimes people perceive as a negative and has to be controlled, but at the same time, it's a voice for the people to express those ideas publicly. And so you have this contestation going on around political ideas and uh, what's appropriate th- for the country.
0: You, expe- you, you related the story of you experienced a little um, political censorship uh, yourself when, uh, when, uh, on national television when the Nanggut yeah. Cowboys performed, wanted to perform their song, Indonesia. So what happened?
1: The song on Indonesia is one that was written by Romy Rama in the 1980s to criticize the Suharto regime. And it was, so so there's the word Golongan in the song, which is Golongan karya," which is the political uh, organization that's connected to, that was connected to the New Order, and the president at that time was Suharto. And so it's a very politically contentious song, uh, but I didn't think it would be uh, very um, sensitive at this moment because it's an old song, and I've heard it performed on national TV many times. So we worked it up, and we uh, wanted to perform it on TV um, with Rome Rama and his band. But when I presented the set list to the producer, they decided that it was inappropriate because the, there's an upcoming election, and it's very sensitive. And so political issues in songs uh, are you know, naturally, according to them, gonna, you know, be sensitive and and be a problem. So that's what happened, and we weren't able to perform that song, and the lyrics of that one are, aside from mentioning the golongan, which is connected to the political organization, it has the words, um, yang kaya makin kaya, yang miskin makin miskin, which means the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and we and there's also other words like "korupsi." Mm-hmm. It has uh, the word "korupsi," corruption, is mentioned twice in the song, and so <laughs> these are words that you know might be generic in some other contexts, but because of an upcoming election in April, they are seen to be extremely sensitive.
0: It it has it's you know Dangdut has such a. wide vocabulary for, you know, if, you know, as a, as a, as a Westerner, you make comparisons to the own genres, you know, like the, uh, a lot of the lyrical content can sound very, uh, country, country Western, like the, the, you know, heartbreak and the, or blues. Uh, but then it has, you know, this, some of the political content, um, like reggae, that uh, you know, that that's very pointed. Um, it uh, it strikes me that, that as as diverse as dangdut is, it, it is it's really understudied as this this kind of as as, as dynamic as Indonesia as dangdut has these all of these faces that it can take on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that an overstatement?
1: No, that's exactly right, and that's why when I wrote my book, I entitled it "Dangdut Stories." Uh, because these stories about particular times in the history of Dangdut um, have their own meanings which can be highly contested by whoever you're talking to. So, they're stories that can be interpreted in lots of different ways. And the meanings of those uh, stories will change depending on who you talk to and when they are produced. So, Dangdut never had a singular meaning. It was always something that you could infuse with your own meaning and your own position. (laughs)
0: Another interesting, for those who know Indonesia, another facet of of, uh, dangdut is that it um, it can be it can be sexualized, even hypersexualized. That um, interesting things happen uh, regarding gender and and dangdut, its its performance, its listenership. It's so um, uh, give us a sense of, of of what that looks like.
1: Well, I think historically it had always been a place where women could express themselves. In the lyrics and through their bodies on stage, and so going back to even the earliest period of Dangu, which is the 70s, there, uh, dance is in- incredibly important, and women singers tend to be very expressive in their movements, and some people would say they're they go over the, overboard, uh, or you can use the word hypersexualized or eroticized, uh, and so there are t- lots of different positions about that, um, especially in the recent history with uh, national television uh, broadcasting certain singers, you know, in a, in, on the national level, uh, government officials and others became very worried about it because that was such a, a huge public forum and a visual one. And so, for example, in 2003, the singer Eneuol Daratista was was banned from uh, in various contexts, uh, while at the same time enjoying incredible popularity because that's what people wanted to see.
0: Her infamous uh, drill, uh, the so-called yeah, drilling dance,
1: yeah, yeah, Gambor. <laughs> and so, in some ways, you know, in many ways, it was very much in line with what had been done uh, all along. And what had been done even before Dongdu happened in terms of women's performances on stage, but because it was in a, a national uh, television right. station, right? Instead of having having
0: quietly in 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 sort of right. neighborhood festivals, now it's um, uh, now it's it's broadcast and say right. and redistributed on the internet,
1: right? Um, and then the internet comes in, and you know if yeah. you search dongdoot on the internet uh, or on YouTube, probably the one the most hits, uh, or the the most popular things that you're going to see right away, are the ones with the most hits, which tend to be the ones with the most eroticized movements in them, and you know to draw people's attention. And often right. the titles are, you know, "Dangdut Erotis," erotic dangdut. So those, ha- you know, they they have a really strong presence, but at the same time, it's just one type of dongdut and it's also a really hyper-sensationalized one, which is, you know, done for a particular purpose of getting attention. Sometimes that video is not even about dangdut, but it's just to get people's attention. And so this, this, you know, has caused a lot of issues to come out in public forums and through media, and people speaking out about it, especially with uh, the country of uh, most, uh, number of uh, Muslims in the world uh the islamic parties becoming very strong politically uh and the discourse about islam uh, especially after the fall of suharto in the late nineties becoming more prominent
0: yeah that i mean that was my that was my next question Leader into mm-hmm. how does how does how does uh islam interact with with because it it, it, yeah. it it's it's not just on the um uh like, uh, uh, Romeo rama has, uh, it, it, I guess we might assume, well, it's just not going to like it, but it's also been used by Islam, so yeah. uh, uh, how has has it interacted with the faith?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you said, Romi-Rama, the king of Dangtut, is, uh, you know, uses Dangtut as a form of da'wah or proselytizing about Islam. There's a lot of Islamic messages in his songs, and underlying... The whole performance, if you watch a performance of rama rama on YouTube, for example, you know, uh, they're often dressed in white robes, and the singers, uh, uh, the dancers who are in the back of the stage, there are four female dancers who are performing movements that are, are, according to him, appropriate for Islam. Uh, the whole, their whole bodies are covered. Uh, so there are lots of Islamic elements in rama ramas performances, but also, there's a sense of women who are performing in what we might think of as very highly eroticized ways, um, being you know 100% Muslim themselves, and uh, there are lots of studies about this, uh, where people are saying there's nothing inconsistent about dancing in those ways and being a good Muslim. So there's no uh, there's no conflict there.
0: I remember right after uh, the fall of of Suharto that, uh, some Indonesian friends, it was an older couple that I knew, they, they sort of, uh, you know, and, and, and there was lots of contestation for what, what the new Indonesia is going to look like. And some of the more uh, uh, Islamic groups had sort of saw it as a chance to sort of, um, spread their wings and, and call out Dongdut for, we should, this should be banned. And I, and I, and I remember them saying like, you know, well, if, if that's what being, you know, uh the devout muslim is then like i i mean i i want my dangdut. like i and, and so, <laughs> so maybe maybe uh, uh rama has found uh like a a loophole. well if you, you this is you can you can have it you can have your your dangdut and still be a good muslim or is it is it is it, a, is it a safe dangdut that way
1: a safe dangdut? yeah uh yeah i mean in some ways uh it's very it's a very controlled it uh it has a you know very Particular meaning, and it's directed at you know certain individuals um, who uh, you know are ready to accept it. But on the other hand, there's so many different forms of dangdut, and so many kinds of uh, you know so many ideas about what it should be. I think that's what really drives the form, and that's what's so special about popular culture. So many voices can be expressed yeah. within it.
0: So, uh, you you're sort of another side of Dongdut is it's, uh, it's, you know, the music of the, of the little people. Um, and so this, uh, this sort of class element, um, how does, how does Dangdut represent the little people?
1: Well, you know, it's really only up only recently that it's become music that could really appeal to the middle classes and up, and it's always up until a few years ago, it was considered music of the middle classes and down. and that's the you know their phrases that go along with that. So it was considered you know low class uh, music for people who are marginalized, people who uh, that you know the have nots and and there were other kinds of music that were for the you know, the haves and the people who were in the middle right. class and up. It was more pop music and western um, derived kinds of music, but, uh, and so, you know, Dangdut was seen as representing the people's interests, music rakyat, music of the people, and, uh, and certainly that was the dominant audience for Dangdut, but as the music industry started to see how popular it was and started to sell it and realized that they could sell Dangdut for, not just the middle classes and down, but to the middle classes and up, who were the ones that would probably buy recordings. They became very involved in it. And then other things happened, which made Dangdut more of a middle class, uh, or at least appealing to the middle classes uh, during the 1990s. And it started to become more of a national music.
0: Do you have a preference? Do you like the uh, which dung? Do, do you like? Uh, I mean, you might you might not want to get in trouble here, but no, no, uh no,
1: no. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm starting. Of course, do you like the classic dangdu? Yeah, or I mean, the, it's funny because the the classic dangdu or something called dangdu pure, P-I-U-R, which is from the word pure, is the more Hindi film uh, derived type uh-huh. of music, which is the classic stuff from the you know the 70s. Um, although you know, Hindi film songs are still really popular in Dangdut. But then uh, as the music became more pop-driven, um, it changed. And I've been getting into it recently because there's a lot of new singers out there and a lot of interesting stuff going on with electronics and new technologies and new sounds uh, and new instruments as well. But uh, I would say you know my preference has always been in the 70s and 80s stuff, which is... Are they,
0: are they auto-tuning? <laughs> there's auto-tuning? There's
1: auto-tuning. Uh, I mean, the, some of the most interesting things are happening in, in East Java, where they've been doing a style called koplo, which uses uh, uh, extended, very extended rhythms on, on multiple drums and speeds up the, the music and brings in a lot of new uh, stylistic elements connected to the drumming. So that's fascinating because it's a localized form that's now becoming national as everybody's doing it. Uh so that's the sh- you know the movement between the, the center and the periphery which then comes back to the center. That's so interesting about Indonesia.
0: Uh, yeah, it's never never static. That's uh, never static. <laughs> that's the that's the case. Um there's a there's a there's an interest um in Indonesia and and I think Outside the world, at least in DeKalb and Pittsburgh, for 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 going international, with 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 Dengdut. How does uh, um, what do you think it's? Uh, I guess the the what are the ambitions for for to, yeah. to, to, to to break out?
1: Well, there's been a couple of efforts recently by an organization called Bekraf, which is the uh, Bandung uh, sorry Badan Economy Creative Indonesia, which is the Organization for Creative Industries, so they had a they've had a booth at uh, South by Southwest for the last couple of years, and they're trying to promote a form of Dangdut that could be popular you know in places outside of Indonesia so they're really trying to shape a certain vision about Dangdut and what it could be
0: so, so, so are they trying to like sort of, sort of recruit other musicians to say like, "Hey, listen to this, you should yes. um." It's fascinating.
1: It's fascinating because as they go further into what they think is going to be popular, they are further eliminating what dangdut is all about. So, you know, the <laughs> idea is breaking Break it down into these components. Yeah, because but. if you take all the elements of what's already popular in you know, all the other kinds of music and then build your own music, you're just going to get the same old thing. And in fact, a lot of the newer dangdut just sounds like other kinds of pop music around the world. Same kinds of instruments, same sounds, same forms, same vocal style. Whereas, what they have in Dangdut is distinctive, and it's been built up over many, many years. But because of the language barrier, mm. and uh, because of things that you know, people won't readily accept in, in a foreign kind of music, you know, that it's questionable whether it could actually become something sellable or something profitable in other parts of the world.
0: So, are you saying the Dongdu Cowboys are going to be at South by Southwest? Is that, uh, is that in the cards?
1: Uh, I don't know about that, but, you know, they <laughs> when we toured there, they claimed that Dangdut had already become a global form because a band already existed in the United States and were playing <laughs> Dangdut and making it popular, and, you know, who knows what will happen after this. There are some other efforts to bring in, uh, for example, to blend hip-hop and English lyrics with Indonesian lyrics and and Dangdut Hmm. um, in a, you know, a video style that looks very contemporary. And so, you know, but the objective there is also uh, for uh, a market, to profit whereas our objective has always been on the educational side
0: what was your what was the reception like in in indonesia when the uh, or maybe and maybe compare it with you know pittsburgh when the when the when the Dangdut cowboys were playing
1: yeah it was really eye opening especially for the musicians who had never been to indonesia <laughs> to actually play in front of an audience that knew the music and loved it and you know i got to say we we you know sound pretty good if you stack us up against the recordings.
0: Right, you guys are professional. You guys are, I you mean, know, it, the musicians. They're yeah. great
1: musicians. Yeah. I mean, if anything, it's the, the inflection of our voices and singing that, uh, you know, might be objectionable or might be different, um, although both of the singers speak Indonesian pretty well. But, uh, you know, to see their reaction to songs like uh, Your Cheatin' Heart blended with <laughs> Kuga Galanchinta... <laughs> And to see the you know, people's bodies—they, you know, actually physically would move when they heard the transition in the music and wow. recognized it, or just thought it was strange or something. So this realization that you could see in in the body was really fascinating for us.
0: In the in the. In the video clips I watched, the live ones, like the 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 crowd is, <laughs> the crowd is singing the entire the whole crowd seemingly yeah. singing. That's that's the, that's quite an experience.
1: It was, yeah, and they you know we picked songs that are pretty famous, yeah, uh, including two songs that are really popular right now, uh, and so we knew that I knew anyway that it yeah would, they would be well. Received. we Were
0: we, are, we, are, we are bandmates who, who for whom if, you know if you're playing this out in. In Pittsburgh, they might think like you know people are like oh that's it's interesting but I have never heard that before. It's the the, the contrast between getting into Indonesia <laughs> yeah. and like the screaming fans.
1: Well, you know we we did a couple of gigs before we left uh, just to so we could play the music in public and uh, a couple of times we played it. I would say it's more like hipster bars. So yeah, there's a sense of love you know liking the music and shaking your head and tapping your foot, but nobody would get up and dance. Because <laughs> uh, that's just not cool, and so right. they, you know, the musicians didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, when, once once in Indonesians hear Dangra, they they want to move. I mean, that's the typical response, and people yeah. will tell you this. You know, it makes me move my body, and so uh, the musicians in my group were really surprised <laughs> that that was so <laughs> true, wherever we went.
0: Yeah, people couldn't. Uh, I, I watched those clips of like when you see. Um, Say in the in the in the first half of the '60s when you know the Beatles or whatever, it's hard to, and I'm thinking like will that ever happen again in uh, in in Western music? But in in you just need to travel outside of the West and there are still places where that there's almost an uncontrollable like I I, I have to get up <clears throat> and, and dance.
1: Yeah, well that's interesting. We do another one uh, where we start out with Wipeout and then we go to another Indonesian <laughs> song, and you know it's clear to us that the composer of the song was familiar with that kind of music. And so we want to show that, but also just having people respond to that music that they don't really know. Yeah. And then learning about it through what they already know is really, it's really fascinating. So it's a two way street.
0: Yeah. Well, Hey, well, um, thank you for joining us, uh, Andrew. What, uh, um, What's uh maybe give us some some plugs? Any we, we should we should uh, we should be searching out the Dongduk Cowboys. Uh, uh, what's what's coming up next in your research?
1: Well, yeah, it'd be great if people, uh, you know, as I said in Indonesia, one of the ideas is that people will start their own Dongduk bands and get more interested in it, and, and te- especially through teaching and awareness about Indonesia. Uh, our stuff is all available online. On YouTube, and a lot of media uh, reports about what we do. My book called Dangdut Stories, which was published by Oxford University Press in 2010, and then uh, some other articles. Um, I did a book on Islam and popular culture, which has a whole chapter by Romi Rama that I translated. So people nice. might be interested in that, in hearing his, his voice in English. Uh, and then, as far as the Tangdu Cowboys, we're going to con- continue to perform. We'd love to, of course, come to your town and perform, <laughs> but also, uh, you know, come for workshops and discussions like the one we're yeah. doing here at NIU, which has been great uh, as a forum for educating people about Tangut and Indonesia.
0: Well, again, uh, on behalf of all of us, thanks for thanks for coming in, and uh, uh, let's go play some music.
1: Thanks, yeah, Crossroads, would like to thank Roma Elamas music, the King of Dandu, and Chi Yu for production assistance. Oh, thank you for the show, we'll see you next time. Oh,